is the dark parts of our soul, our shadows, our demons, whether it's uh, things we do that are not helpful to ourselves or others, our addictions, um, do we ever actually overcome them? Do we actually ever solve the problem of our demons? Or are we fated at best to manage it forever? So with that, let us thank God for the gift of learning Torah together, and then we'll jump right in. so, um, the front page of the handout, which uh, you have, is a picture of mandrakes. Um, and every Shabbos, uh, I, when I get home from Shurwal, the first thing I do is I call my father-in-love in Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, he's 94, he's 94, he's not 84. And I, I ask him about Torah. And last Shabbos, it was Vayetze, uh, he said, uh, and, and, I, and he always uh, gives a Devar Torah at, at his son Ari's, you know, Shira's brother's table. Um, he has to do that to earn his meal. He always gives a Devar Torah. <laughs> and so I asked him last Shabbos about your Torah from Vayetze last week. And he said, the Mandrake story. I think the Mandrake story is the saddest story in all of the Tanakh. I think the pathos of our mother Leah is the saddest pathos uh, in, in all of the scripture. And I have to say, I, you know, I had never, ever focused on Mandrakes before. I mean, I knew there was a Mandrake. I don't know what a Mandrake is. I wouldn't know a Mandrake if it hit me in the head. I just never focused on Mandrakes. But when I went back and reread it, alas... Uh, it's the saddest story, and, uh, it, it, and, and the pathos of Leah, I think my father-in-law is right, is, is the saddest. So you remember last week we were actually talking about Leah and how she pined after the love of Jacob and how she named her first three kids. If you read the text, uh, I've given my son, I've given my husband one son, now maybe he'll love me. I've given my husband two sons, now maybe he'll love me. I'll given my husband three sons, and now maybe he'll love me, and he still doesn't love her. And we saw in the piece from Shai Held last week that he never loves her, and he never even calls her his wife. She's unloved. And then she has the fourth son, and she no longer names him for now I have given him four sons, and now maybe my husband will love me. She doesn't do that. Instead, a different move. This time, I will praise God. And we all talked last week about this is a great moment, Yehuda. This is the moment where I can't fix all my problems. Stuff in life just is. And I'm going to be okay with what is. I'm going to be okay with what I can't fix. This time I praise God. She's strong. She's affirmative. She's gritty. She's realistic. And that's where we get our name. Okay? And then I made the mistake of talking to my father-in-law <laughs> and reading the Mandrake story. So... The Mandrake story is, uh, 
these mandrakes are thought to possess fertility-enhancing qualities. And Leah's firstborn son, Reuben, gathers you know, a basket of mandrakes in the field. And Rachel sees the mandrakes and says, uh, can I have some of those mandrakes? Rachel does not have children. She wants nothing more than to have children. And then Leah says to Rachel, you've already stolen my husband. Will you steal my son's mandrakes too? And that's where the story gets super sad. And what I wanted to do is read the story slowly because, um, uh, because the pathos of Leah is just so deep and it has so much to say to, to everybody. So um, we're, on, we're on page four of the handout. This is the sad Mandrake story. But Leah said to Rachel, verse 15, was it not enough for you to take away my husband that you would also take my son's mandrakes? Rachel replied, I promise he shall lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. Okay? Rachel is kind of like a reverse pimp. Rachel is a reverse pimp. I will give you, and it just said, I'm going to give you your husband. I'm going to give you access to your husband and you just pay me for that with mandrakes. So let's just pause there. As Scheihold has always taught us, you cannot read Torah too slowly. Um, what's your reaction to that verse, uh, including the fact that Rachel seems to be able to pimp out her husband and direct him, go here, go here. He see, this is kind of a, a subversion. Usually it's the woman that's the object and the guy is the actor. Here, the guy is the object, and the woman is the actor. Uh, what are your reactions to that, the notion? Yeah. To me, um, we, we talked a little bit about yesterday, and um, uh, we actually have a script. We know what we are saying in the, in the <laughs> class. Um, <coughs> I, I, I cannot get passed by, by uh, Jacob, Jacob's attitude here. It's like... Your wife comes and says, hey, go go and, and have sex with your other one. Says, okay, I'll just go there. I don't know. It's like, it's, I, don't, I don't, you know, the more we study, the less I like Jacob. Sorry, yeah. I don't want to offend anybody, and I pray all the time. Eloi Abraham, it's Hak Yaakov. But it's not, a, it's not a character that I sympathize with. And uh, knowing how much suffering, you know, these two sisters have been with each other in terms of seven years and waiting and this and that. He says, okay, I'll just do it. Yeah. And what would you want if, if, this, if the Leia story was where we, we left last week? I'm not going to pant after what I can't have. I am not going to pant after what I can't have. I'm going to be okay with what is and I'm going to celebrate life, right? What would you want Leia to say to that offer? So I think that's where we are. And I did some additional research into mandrakes because I had some questions like, Leia has the best fertility of any woman in the Torah. Like, she does not struggle to have children. So why is it that she's having her son dig up mandrakes? And I, I was looking, and it turns out mandrakes are not only a fertility enhancer, believed to be a fertility enhancer because the root resembles the human form, but they're also a depressant. They're a drug. And so I just want to say it's entirely possible that Leia is living her best life and just getting high in the evenings 
And I'm just, I'm just saying that's the, we haven't talked about that, but that's and that's real. the matrix, you think, Ben? No, I okay, hold on. I think we in general tend to downplay the value of physical pleasure, and so she's. She's got her drug. She's happy. She's this good This is life. her weed. This is her weed, yeah. This is her weed at and the end Rachel of the day. And Rachel comes and is like, not, like, I've got all the love. I've got everything that you want. You've, got, you've, you've figured out a chemical, biochemical way of supporting your heart. And I want it. And she's like, this is just, it's not, you can't have everything. And, and so then there's this interesting, I don't know that I see it so much as like this fallback plan. I, I, I wonder if that she's like, She's figured out a biochemical way of enjoying her evening. She doesn't. She can't go out and find another partner. She can't. She has no options. She's just stuck in this subpar marriage. So getting high in the evenings is a great way. Can I, no, I, I, can I don't I have a something? problem. I don't have a problem with the weed. I mean, I don't like weed. I've never used weed. <laughs> but if you changed weed to scotch, yeah. okay. Can I, can I say something? Scotch. No, just wait. A minute. I just want to finish the responding to and then serious. If if the read is this is her Glenlivet scotch at the end of the day. Um, I'm good with that. The part that I'm not good with is going back to Jacob, who doesn't love her, and kind of trading off her scotch for an evening Can I of say love. Something? With please, please, yeah. please, let me talk. <laughs> Go. I never thought I would come to a Talmud class and know about who was high at <laughs> night. You know, <laughs> I love that perspective. I have another perspective. So, interesting enough, I grew up in my house in. Did Argentina. you grow up in Argentina? I did. I, I, I did. I did. I did. I did, and very common in Argentina, maybe it comes from Spain, maybe it comes from Europe, the word mandrake, mandrake is a Spanish pronunciation, is used in everyday language. Mandrake is associated with somebody who has magical powers, all right? When you are talking in a regular conversation and you say, oh, this guy can do everything, or this guy thinks that he can do anything, who does he think he is, mandrake? You know, it's very, in the very popular sense, it's used all the time with somebody with superpowers, not related to weed or anything like that. Anyway, <laughs> the so my take on this is, how about if Leia wanted Mandrake to create some kind of a voodoo for Jacob to love her? Okay. Well, let's look at what happens next. So thank you the, for the Mandrake. Because no the... Um, <laughs> I appreciate the Mandrake. The Torah has a definite point of view on, on this whole transaction. And it's a transaction, as you'll see. Verse 16, when Jacob came home from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you are to sleep with me, for I have hired you with my sons and mandrakes. Right? So it's a transaction. And my father-in-law points out the pathos of a wife having to pay for her husband's intimacy. That's a lot of pathos, right? And I, you know, my fighting spirit would want to say something that I couldn't say in Tama class, but it would be, well, what do you know what it is, which is what I would want to say to Jacob and to Rachel if I were Leah, which is I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need your love. And I'm done with Jacob and I'm done with you and I'll figure something else out. But no, you are to sleep with me for I have hired you with my son's medic. She hires her own husband. And then it says, and he lay with her that night. Now, vaishkav ima balayla hu. Okay? Now we need to not double click, but triple click or quadruple click on that. Okay? If you um, uh, look at the, uh, the Hebrew vaishkav, um, um, if you look on page four, the previous sentence, or the previous paragraph, um, it says, he shall lie with you, 
The nature of this bargain, uh, this barter arrangement, is underlined by the fact that in Hebrew, when the verb to lie with, shahaf, is used with a sexual nuance, it never connotes a relationship of marital love, but one that takes place under unsavory circumstances. Okay, so, if, and then um, I looked up Nahum Sarna. Um, you're not the only ones who do homework over here. Uh, I looked up Nahum Sarna. So let's just do a real quick rogues gallery, if you look at it, right? Uh, that same word is used for Lot having sex with his daughters. By the way, he's intoxicated. So the same word that describes Leah and Jacob is used for Lot is made drunk, intoxicated, has sex with his daughters. The same word is used when Rebecca is about to have sex with the Melech of Gerar. The same word is used in this uh, week's portion where Dina is raped. It's the same word, the rape of Dina. Um, the same word is used when Reuben, who finds the mandrakes, by the way, sleeps with Bilhah, his father's concubine, which is like weird and yuck at so many levels. And the same word is used in a few weeks uh, when... Uh, actually next week, when Lady Potiphar wants to have sex with Joseph, which is sexual harassment, etc., false allegation, rape, right? So what the Torah here is, is, is saying is that this is not uh, marital intimacy. This is deeply unwell behavior. Um, colleagues, what's your read of the neighborhood, the rogues gallery neighborhood into which this union is, is put? So I... Yaakov, you know, Jacob, he just has, um, he doesn't have a clue, actually, um, about how desperate and how hurt Leah is. Uh, you know, he wanted Rachel from the beginning, and and uh, so therefore, she, uh, Leah is just there for him. She's just there, she's, um, you know, a shadow, as you talked about earlier. She's just, she's not really part of his life in, in any way. Uh, and I think that that's really part of that. So that um, this whole, so when he's going to have into, uh, relations with her, it's not a loving relationship because he never loved her. And so, uh, and as Elisa pointed out earlier, you know, the fact that she's in this untenable situation, she she's uh, she can't go anywhere. You know, that society, she can't leave. She can't go anywhere. She's stuck. And um, and so it is just so sad uh, that that Yaakov just has, and Yaakov just, he just has no clue at all. He has no clue how really desperate, how hurt she is, because in his eyes, she's just part of the landscape. I, I also want to say, I think the idea that she, um, quotes, rents her husband, I don't find that to be so problematic. I think about custody arrangements. I know you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but <laughs> I, I think about like custody arrangements. When you have a divorce, when you have children that are going back and forth, you have trades that you do for time. And that's a totally above board thing, right? Because you have worked out a schedule of time where this child will be at this house and this child will be at this house. I can't imagine it's any different when you have two wives that you have to figure out when you're sleeping here and when you're sleeping there. And you have right. a schedule. Okay, so you have that charitable read, <laughs> which is uh, interesting, but... What do you do with the with the shot of the text, given that you know Nachum Sarna's point about Lishkov, and this union being uh, in the same rogues gallery as Reuben and Bilha and Lady Potiphar and Joseph and Lot and his daughters? I mean, the Torah's perspective is this is gross. 
Well, I think it, I'm not arguing that it's delightful or fun. I think there's a reason that she has her son stocking up on a depressant so that she can get through the nights that she has to be with him. Like, why else? There's no reason for her to have those unless she's trying to escape the pain of that marriage, of the, of the brokenness of their relationship, of the fact that she has to sleep with this guy that, that hates her. And she does that not just once, not just twice, but over and over and over. So right. that's painful. But I, I don't necessarily think that means that she's backsliding or that she's doing something wrong. I think it's entirely possible that she's like, yeah, I'm going to keep building so my family. I'm going to keep having children. This is how I can have children. And, and so when I honestly, she I stand by, by my, my appreciation before about Mandrake. Right. I, I feel like she she's never over with uh, Jacob not yeah. loving her. So let's go to the I just want to go to the end of the story because this to me, if there's an even sadder line than this, it's it's here next, right? Which is and Leah said, God has given me my reward for giving my maid to my husband, so she named me Saha, right? That her fifth her fifth child is, you know, I rented out my son. We're on page five. And then this is the saddest line to me. This is the saddest line to me. And I'll tell you what this made me think about from the movies. Verse nineteen. When Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son, Leah said, God has given me a choice gift. This time my husband will exalt me, for I have borne him six sons, so she named him Zebulun. So, you know, she names her first three kids. Now maybe my husband will love me. Yehuda is named for now. I don't need my husband's love. I'm going to praise God with or without my husband's love. And now at the end, uh, her sixth son, and then she has Dina, uh, her sixth son, she's still panting. She's still still naming her child, now maybe he'll love me. And I'll tell you what this made me think of. This is one of the great movies um, about addiction, uh, Flight with Denzel Washington. Uh, if, if you're home on a Saturday night and you're looking for a great movie about human nature, Flight with Denzel. Denzel is an airplane pilot. Um, he gets a nomination for Best Actor. D doesn't win, but he's nominated. And he's, he's an alcoholic pilot. And there's this scene where he's really trying, and he's just struggling and trying off the wagon, on the wagon, off the wagon, on the wagon. And he's in a hotel where, for various reasons, the sponsor of the hotel room has taken the, the drugs, the, the alcohol out of the minibar. And he's, he's in, the, in, in a hotel room. He wants his weed at the end of the night. He wants his, his, his scotch. And there's nothing in his, in his refrigerator minibar. And he sees the door to the adjoining Hotel room is, is ajar and it's open. So he goes through the adjoining room, which is vacant. There's a mini bar, which is full. And you see him take a Johnny Walker black. And you see him hold it. And he puts it down and he goes back into his own hotel room. And then you see him go back in and take the Johnny Walker black. And the next scene is he's passed out in the bed of the adjoining hotel room. And he's cleared out every bottle in the mini bar. So he has the first Johnny Walker Black, and then he has the entire mini bar of the adjoining room, and he's plopped out. And it feels like that, that's what I thought about when Leia names her sixth child, now maybe my husband will love me, that this is a woman in the thrall of, and captive to, her addiction, or in the thrall of, or captive to, uh, her unwell behavior. Um, and either she's doing it with the you know demon weed in the form of mandrakes, or she's actually you know doing anything. But it, it feels like very debasing. So I first of all, do you have a different read? And if so, um, we can't end here. Uh, and the question is, you know, where's the uplift? Like if if this is it, why why read this stuff, right? Where's the uplift? Uh, and what's your read of the pathos of Leia? Anybody? So I find this so interesting. We, we started by having sort of an informal conversation about the um, program with Nadav Tamir this week. And 
there's a way in which we as Jews are Leah, right, with the rest of the world, where we desperately want the rest of the world to affirm us and like us and appreciate us. And we're like, maybe now people will acknowledge that Israel is really a country. Maybe now people will acknowledge that they can invite Israeli scholars to conferences. Maybe now, right? And, and it's interesting with Leah, it, it feels like there's this judgment, like because she holds out hope that there's a possibility for transformation in her relationship, that's a negative. I don't necessarily see it that way. I do see that she is in the same pattern, that she's stuck in a marriage and she's hoping that something will turn the corner and she'll be able to have a, a more than just miserable relationship with her husband. But I see that as, as optimism, as hope, as the possibility of, of change that maybe as they grow together, Jacob could actually develop the capacity to acknowledge her humanity and see her and, and appreciate her. Um, and and I think that's that's worthwhile. It's worth not giving up hope and... Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. uh, if you were, you know, if you were a rabbi back Jeez. then, and no, 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 back then, and and Leah, and Leah came to see you, and Leah said, you know, my husband doesn't love me, yada yada. He really loves Rachel, yada yada. I could have this deal where, you know, if if I give him the mandrakes my son got, I could have some more nights with him. Uh, I just I'm a, I'm drawn to him. I I don't know why. I love him despite myself. What would you, what would you tell her to do? What would you advise her to do? Or how would you help her process that dilemma? So I think I would start by saying like, that sucks. Like I'm really sorry. I don't know what I would do in your situation. I would want to talk with her about how she feels. Um, I feel torn. I feel torn because I know it's debasing. I know it's debasing. I know it's succumbing to an addiction, but I just, I'm drawn to this man. I just, he's the only man I've ever loved. I want him, he doesn't want me, I know this, <laughs> but I could actually have him for the night, and that is kind of tantalizing in some kind of primal way. What so should I do? The question is, do you think staying with him for the night would make you feel better, would make you, would bring you joy? Would that, would that make your life better? Definitely not, it will make me feel like shit long term, but for the night, it will make me feel good. So I think you've got to weigh your choice about how much you value this night. So let's just pause. Can, can you, uh, can you yeah. do the same thing to me? Yes. <laughs> Suppose okay. that Leah comes to me. Okay, yes. Yeah, can't, I mean, you're now, uh, you are a counselor. <laughs> counselor Rosenberg. I would say, I don't do this stuff. I'm a cantor. <laughs> Go and talk to the rabbis. Um, so, yeah. So here's my question. Do you see, and then I, and then I want to pivot to, because I, I think there's a deep way in which Leah's trajectory and her struggle actually, ironically, mirrors that, parallels and mirrors and reflects that of Jacob. Um, but before we get to that, do you see any uplift? Is there anything inspiring about the pathos of Leah that could actually make you feel good about your own life? Anything? I think a lot. Tell me more. I, I feel like I'm like the I'm like a defender of Leah, but um, she is somebody who keeps an open mind about the possibility of her relationship changing for her entire life, despite every fact to the opposite. And you could say that's insanity, but mm -hmm. I think that there is there is something to be admired about that that she she cannot change her situation, but she never loses hope that her situation can change. So that is very much Nadav Tamir's talk. Thursday night, which is I'm going to make optimism a way of life, and I'm going to I'm going to 
if I see optimism, I'll see optimism. And if I see hopefulness, I'll see hopefulness. And it almost doesn't matter whether Jacob actually loves her, and it a almost doesn't matter whether there is actually a partner to make peace with. I am not going to, I am going to see optimism. That's my story. Okay, right. I, I want to disagree, though. I, I think the idea that, you know what they say? They say crazy is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And that seems to be what, what Leia is stuck in. Um, so that he, being being optimistic, being hopeful, uh, and doing and doing the same actions, expecting that that things might change, is in fact not helpful. And I think I think it also in the Torah is pointing out that uh, in some ways um, l there are many times where just life is broken, and you may not be able to fix it. Yes. Yeah, so that thank you, Dan. I, this I find this in a way a very optimistic story in the following way, which is. If you think about your demons, if I think about my demons, I actually have a very bad track record with solving them, with banishing them, with overcoming them, with making them go away. And the Torah here says to manage your demons is, that's what human nature gives us. That's the deal. You've got your demons you think you can solve, you can't solve. Solving your demons is not on the menu. But, but managing your demons is on the menu. And so I want, and, and that to me is actually helpful, right? That, that the notion that, it's a, because it makes me not feel bad about myself. Wh whatever my demons are that I haven't solved and I'm 61 and I'm still with these same demons, that um, it's okay. That's how we're wired, that's how we're built. And we don't have to solve, and, and, and not all of the problems in life are a technical problem, like you have a headache and you take Tylenol. Some are much deeper, and you, you manage them, and you're alive to them, and you're always working on them. So like I think about, for example, I, I, I have two people in my life who are alcoholics. And one I, I meet with every, you know, s you know, several times a year, kind of like a s spiritual counselor. And he describes himself as, uh, you know, as an alcoholic, but he's been 36 years sober. Uh, but never, he, he doesn't say I'm done. And he's still working at it. And then I know another person who, um, who describes herself as sober, not an alcoholic, but she's 16 years sober. And they're both always working on it, right? right? They, they don't banish their alcoholism. They manage their alcoholism. And, and I th feel like that, that to me is kind of the legacy of Leia, that managing is, is a good thing. Because managing means you can actually get on with your life. Managing means you can live a beautiful and robust and meaningful life despite challenges. So here is, I want to now just pivot for a second. Wait, from wait, but I need yeah. to ask you a question. Yes. I don't see that in the story of Leia. Where do you see it? Well, I, I don't see her managing it, but I do see her having the problem that she doesn't solve. And so I'm going to say that, that the, the read I have of Leia is, you know, from, from Yehuda, this time I'll praise God, to Zavulun, now I've given him six kids, now maybe he'll love me. That's the work she needs to do. And, and that's the work we all need to do, right? When I have my moments of this time I'll praise God, and then I have my moments, now I've given my husband six kids, now maybe he'll finally love me. 
That's the work she needs to do. We all have that gap. That's the work I need to do. That's the uplift. So I want to come to, to Jacob, because I think in a, in, in a weird way, Leah's story parallels that directly of her husband. So if you look at the last, now we're in this week's portion, this is the famous, um, this is the famous verse where we get our name, not Judah, which Leah gives us, but Jacob gets it, right? Um, this is uh, the last page. Um, Jacob is wrestling with the angel. I will not let you go unless you bless me, Jacob says to the angel. Said the other, what is your name? Uh, he replied, Jacob. Said, the, said he, the angel, lo, ye, lo Yaakov ye omer od shimcha ki im Yisrael. No more shall your name be known as Jacob, but rather Yisrael, Kisarita im Elohim ve'im anashim v'atuchal, because you have striven with beings divine and human, and you've prevailed. Okay, so Jacob gets a new name. And no more shall you be known as, as Jacob. And the next verse, Vaishal Yaakov, Jacob asked. Right? So here he gets a blessing from this mysterious assailant, this mysterious being, this Malach. No more will you be Jacob, you're going to be Israel. You've got a name change. The next verse, he's back to Jacob. I feel like that kind of tells, that's, that's kind of like Leah, this time I praise God, I've given him six kids, now maybe he'll love me, that we're always in our own version of the difference between Jacob and Israel, we're always the difference between Judah and Zebulun. that's how we're wired, and the good news is, don't get down on yourself, that just means you have work to do. Thoughts, comments, questions? I think, where are you going to go? What's interesting to me is I feel like in any, ideally in marriage, right, you're two people that, that um, reflect aspects of each other back and forth. So Leah feels like it's the internal struggle of how is she internally going to grapple with her reality, and Jacob's is how is he externally going to be seen and recognized. And both of them struggle with that. And I just find it so interesting that like, he, doesn't, he doesn't do the inner work to get to be Israel. I mean, I guess he fights with the angel, but we don't see him on this process of like, fighting against himself from being the, the stealer to becoming this better person. And, and you know, right after this, he goes back to being a, dece a deceptive liar. It's somebody else on the outside that's like, you could be great, you could be this. And he's like, meh, I'm gonna go back to my pattern. Uh, but I just find that so interesting that one is an internal, one is external. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was thinking is, um, you know, the the last verb there about tuchal. I don't think that's true. You know, um, he ha he wrestles with himself. He wrestles with with others. He wrestles with uh, divine beings, but he doesn't actually in the in the end. Um, he d he doesn't actually um, you know uh, win. He doesn't. He doesn't win in the end because right. uh, because of the next verse. You know, uh, then he goes back to Yaakov. So, yeah, it's um. I think as you pointed out, it's it's uh, the fact that he's trying to still trying trying to manage, but when you managing means that you've never actually uh, defeated your demons. So I don't. Right. So so I think this is actually a, a, a misrepresentation in a certain way of who Yaakov is or Yisrael is. Right. By and, and, and think about yeah. how, how many how many if you look at the percentage of times that, that after this moment, 
in the Torah that he's that it's Yaakov and not Yisrael. I think it's like seventy thirty. That is Yaakov. That is Yaakov. Yeah. And at the end, by the way, just uh, Aliza's reference to Helias at the very end, the last conversation he has with Asav is a big fat lie. Mm-hmm. Because they have the reunion, Asa gives him a hug and a kiss and says, let's do life together, come back to my place and, and we'll, we'll connect. And Yaakov says, well, yeah, why don't you go to Seir and we'll meet you. I'll meet you. I'll, we'll, we'll do lunch. I'll meet you. I'm, I'm coming. Uh, but I, I got to go slow. I got all these wives, all these kids, all this cattle. Um, and uh, I'll meet you. And so Asaph goes to Seir. And the minute he's off the screen, Yaakov goes to Sukkot exact opposite direction. So his last comment to his brother is a lie, literally an, a, a diametric lie. A, the, the brother goes north and uh, the brother goes south and Yaakov goes north. So he, he ends up there. So, um, right. So That is the reason I don't like these guys. Yes. So I want to just, so I want to end the class by, uh, with this notion that I think we always say that uh, to be Israel, is, we're named for wrestling. And I think when you read the Yaakov story and the Leah story together, it's not just wrestling with God. Does God exist given the Holocaust, right? Or does God exist given this loved one or that loved one who had a terrible thing happen? But I think it's also wrestling with our own selves. <coughs> and that wrestling with our own selves, which Leah does, which Yaakov does, that that is holy work, if you could be intentional about it, if you could be mindful of the work between the you that you want to be and the you that you are, that's a good thing. It's human nature. It's how we're wired. And uh, that, to me, is optimistic because it points a way forward for productive future. Um, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see it as optimistic. I, just, I see it as just trying to get, you know, like the alcoholic, just trying to get through day to day. And sometimes that's, that's sometimes there's not a lot, lot of optimism. Optimism yeah. there. It's sometimes it's just, I made it through today. I can go to sleep, and God willing, I'll be able to get up tomorrow. Yeah, but so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not sure it's optimistic. Maybe it is. Maybe it's right. not. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling it as not. I think there's an optimism in how we relate to them, right? I think that there's there's two levels, right? There's what they did in their lifetimes and what they fought in their lifetimes, and there's how we see them. And there's a temptation to just be like down on Jacob or down on Leah and like they're just they're so terrible they never get it together but I think instead when we can see them with compassion and see them in the lens that they really tried their whole lives and they were really they were working it the same way we're working it I think that's where that optimism comes in that that there's no expectation that everyone's going to be perfect in every moment but there is an expectation that we're all going to be working on our on our stuff yeah I just want to bring this to a close with bringing Israel and Nadav Tamir (coughs) into this um, so we were meeting with Nadav Tamir. You know, it's a nice group in Cannes and a bunch of people on, at home. And I was in dialogue with him. He's a lovely, lovely guy, super smart, super thoughtful, and indisputably Israeli. I mean, his Israeliness is who he is. And so I said to him at the end of this conversation, um, you know, it's Parshat Vayishlach, and um, the angel wants to go, but Jacob says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. So Nadav, thank you for being here, but we're not going to let you go unless you bless us. And what he had to say, I found just so interesting. To me, it was the most interesting part of the evening, which is, you know, I'm a secular Israeli. It's not my, he didn't say it's not my love language, but it's not my love language. I don't do blessing. I don't do parsha. I don't do vayishlach. I don't do Yaakov and the malach. 
And then he went on to say, you know, advocate in the ways that you want, uh, you know, and use your, your, use your political power to influence the government, to influence Israel, to be the Israel you want to be. But he did not want to do a bracha. And I'm, uh, and, and I'm thinking about, um, you know, I'm uh, completely obsessed with, um, with Israel 75, the history of it. I'm reading the Stanley Gordis uh, book. And he goes over the, uh, the early Zionist thinkers, Berdachevsky, Chernikovsky, Aleph Dalit Gordon, Max Norda, Theodore Herzl, right? And they all talked about what we need is a new Jew for a new Jewish land. We need, it's not just enough to have a new Jewish home, we need a new Jew. And, um, and it just struck me that Nadav is exactly, and he describes it, he, that's, that's him, that's our beloved Israeli, right? Is, is uh, like, we, we, we're Vaishlach people in our own way. And, and there are plenty of people in Israel who are Vaishlach people, right? But there's a whole genre that's not, and that's not, not how they roll. And that's what the Zionist thinkers were predicting, you know, at the turn of the century. Last thing is, this verse, uh, would, um, just last night read uh, chapter 8 of Danny's book about the founding of the state, and now it's obvious that the state of Israel's name is Israel, but it wasn't always obvious, and the question was, how do we figure out what the name of this new land would be? It had been Palestine, etc., um, and it's named for this verse. It's verse, Israel is named for this verse. It's named for the notion of struggling, managing its demons, never solving its demons, but always working on solving its demons. So Elias, do you have a song for us? Yes, thank you. Uh, since uh, I'm not an expert in rape and fertility and uh, <laughs> all kind of uh, mandrake <laughs> things, I'm going to go for a nigun. So let's join. Thank you guys, Shabbat Shalom. By the way, for Kiddush today we're having mandrakes. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>